My name is Marty Dangerfield and I am recording from the lands of the Wathaurong people. I wish to pay my respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And my name is Hester Brown. I am recording as always from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I wish to pay my respects to elders past and present. We say this every week, but we mean this every week. This always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. Marty, 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 how you doing? Hello, Hester. I am really good. I must say I'm kind of excited because this is our last episode for season two. Yay, we made it. I know I feel like this might have crept up on a few people or a few of our regular listeners. I think it's crept up on you and I as well Mm. (laughs) that Emily was our 10th interviewee guest. And yeah, that rounds us out for a season. Yeah, I don't know about you, Mars. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty exhausted and I think I'm looking forward to what I'm calling my second shot at maternity leave. I didn't do the best job last time, so I've got maybe a month or two without a wedding and we'll have a bit of time off this and I don't know, I might just like rearrange my sock drawer. (laughs) It is some well-deserved downtime, Hester, because Esme has been joining us on so many of these episodes. So you have done an incredible, incredible job through this season to keep it all going. Stop it, you have. (laughs) And so on that, how was your Mother's Day? Yeah, it was really nice. I really love Mother's Day. It's an interesting one in that as this day of celebration, it can be so hard for different reasons. I think there are lots of reasons why Mother's Day can be really beautiful. And that means there are equally just as many for why it might be hard for some people. So shout out to anyone who had a difficult Mother's Day. I was also reading a really beautiful Instagram post about, you know, what it's like even just to have an underwhelming Mother's Day. If you have been up all night with a baby and then you're waking up with a toddler in the morning and you're feeling a bit exhausted and, or maybe you didn't get the flowers and pancakes that you were hoping for or whatever it is. But no, I had a really beautiful Mother's Day and I got to spend the evening with my mother and my sister as well. And I always say that my sister is like a bonus mom for my kids. So that's really special to us. What about you? Yeah, I had some time with the family too, with mum and with Pat's mum and his family. And it was his sister's first Mother's Day as well, which was really sweet and really special. And I also got to do my other love on Sunday on Mother's Day and that was play football. So <laughs> I had a great day. How did you go? It was good. It was great. <laughs> we we had a win and we also played against a really enjoyable team. There was, you know, there's always a little bit of banter and back and forth, but it was actually really fun. They were a really great team and I really enjoyed it. I remember when I played my one season of football, I actually couldn't get over how supportive members of the other teams would be. It felt like such a community. I remember lining up for like my first ever game. It was like a practice match for the, you know, bottom div of the VAFA. Nothing, nothing exciting. Well, it was exciting to me. It was a, it was a childhood dream. And the other, like the opposition player was like coaching me through it. It was really cute. I love that vibe. Yeah, it's really cool when that happens. And I think this team also had a lot of players that knew a lot of players in our team. So I think they played in representative sides and VFL or things like that together. So it was really, really nice. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, although my kids weren't there, (laughs) it was still a great Mother's Day. (laughs) I had my first game back at basketball on the weekend after the second baby. And yeah, my body does not work the same way. It was very difficult to put up with. I felt like I literally couldn't run. But it had me thinking, I was getting changed and I was thinking, you know, I played basketball my whole life. Football wasn't really an option. And I was thinking, hey, you know what? If there hadn't been, you know, football for young girls going right through when I was growing up, maybe I could have also been an exceptionally average footballer by this point in my life. So (laughs) there you go. Opportunity missed to be absolutely nothing in football. 
<laughs> opportunity means to be mediocre in something yes. else. Social sport is my lifeblood and I <laughs> appreciate being super average at it. <laughs> Last interview yes. of season two. Yes, the last one with Em Mackay. Yeah, I really love Em. I think she's so strong. She's a sweet soul. Like she was quite gentle and kind and I, I felt like really safe talking to her. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> is, that, is that a weird thing to say? But I think she's really, really sweet. Yeah, yeah. And I think I like on this podcast having the opportunity to hear different people's stories, you know, I really love hearing about how people get to where they finish, how they get into small business or whatever jobs they do, taking whatever route is best for them. Like I think we can be so rigid in what we think is the right way to do something. So I love hearing those different stories. I love her saying, you know, oh, I thought about hairdressing. I thought about this. I thought about that. And then I was really clever and I recognized a huge gap in the market. And I think a gap that spoke to her as well that she was interested in, and that's like quite consistent, I guess, from Lily in season one, Donna earlier this year, that like there is no necessarily, there is not a right path. There's a traditional path, I suppose, of education and and that stepping you forward, but there's not necessarily one way to do anything. And yeah, that came through with Emily. But once you find something you're interested in, you can move that passion into work. And she did that pretty brilliantly and very successfully. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. And it, it was an interview that touched on as well the topics that we covered with Michelle last week on the review, you know, the sort of how the media frames women and those clickbait headlines. And, you know, I think some of those stories about her being contacted for comment in the most difficult period of her life, I thought those were really hard. It was just interesting, I think, how she said she's able to just block it out and not read things and if her family say don't, then she won't because that's actually a lot easier said than done, especially when something is consuming your whole world and you just want to be across it. Like I know I'm the first one to say don't read the comments, don't look at it, and that's because I'm there already reading the comments. (laughs) Like I've already read them all, you know. (laughs) So like that's pretty amazing at such a crazy time in her life that she was able to just sort of step away and not read things and just know her own truth and know what happened and know what she needs and that's enough and that's what's most important to her. That was really, really good to hear and really timely, I think, just to step back again and not read things. It's always a good reminder to have. (laughs) I think so true. But I think even to know things are going on around you but not take them on is very impressive. Sometimes I'm better than at other times at not reading the comments, but I'm always terrible at not taking them on. So I'm definitely looking to M to try and learn, learn from her and her approach. I thought that was really, really strong of her. Yeah. I think that's also something that can be said for like Facebook groups and comments and like news articles and stuff too, that even if they're not written about you, you know, you can see people arguing in the comments and like there comes a time where you just got to pack it up and walk away because it's not worth the energy sometimes. So I guess that goes across the board, whether they're writing about you or not, or something that you're just something you're interested in. Yeah. So true. And this kind of got us thinking, I suppose for M, there were some pretty big positives and some pretty serious negatives about being online and having those interactions. You know, she talked about her business really blowing up because of one of her friends posting about it. And she also talked about, yeah, receiving really awful troll messages and particularly quite, you know, racist and and awful messages. So there can really be this low lows and these high highs of social media and social media engagement. And 
we wanted to have a chat about that. So we thought we'd bring in our final special guest for the season. And that special guest is the amazing Carly Finlay OAM. And Carly is an award-winning writer, speaker, and appearance activist. She's also an avid fashionista, and I would say a very conscious and considered Instagram star. So we thought there are some better people to talk about this than us. So we popped in for a chat with Carly. I am Carly and I'm recording from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and as a writer I'm just astounded that Aboriginal people have been telling stories on this land for over 65,000 years since the beginning of time. I always like to give a shout out to a writer as I do my acknowledgement of country and I have the shout out I want to give today is Leah Purcell's The Drover's Wife. Leah, you know, might know as an actor, as a theatre maker, a director, and she's written this version of The Drover's Wife from an Aboriginal feminist perspective. Go and look up that from your library or bookshop. Carly, thank you so much for joining us. It is such an honour to have you on the podcast today. We really wanted to talk about, I mean, I suppose it sounds like quite a broad topic, but we really wanted to talk about the internet and more specifically social media and internet engagement. And we just couldn't think of anyone who was more of a perfect expert to have on to talk to us about that. I have loved following you, particularly on Instagram for a long time. And you have a a fantastic page. It's at Carly Finlay. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started to connect online? Yeah, it was years ago now, a good 20, 21 or so years ago. No, more than that, more than that. So when I went to school, I, I grew up in country New South Wales in a little town near Albury, Wodonga, and I went to school in a suburb of Albury. And so in the 90s, I was such a big Savage Garden fan, and I still am. And when I was in the library at at lunchtime and the internet first came so around 96 97 I would just look up Savage Garden on then I'm not sure if you remember but there was like browsers like GeoCities and Yahoo and maybe Ask Jeeves back then Google wasn't a thing and the school librarian was really really strict and I was a bit scared of her as other people were and she took me aside one day and said maybe instead of looking up Savage Garden you should look up your skin condition, ichthyosis. And so I did. And I was looking for people with ichthyosis. It's a very, very rare skin condition. Like I don't know how many people per million have it. I'm not, you know, going to that stats, but it is incredibly rare, maybe a one in the million kind of condition for the type of ichthyosis I have anyway. And so I was like Googling, ask Jeevesing, is that a, that's a verb now, ask Jeevesing, uh, ichthyosis. And I came across a number of people with the condition who, you know, were at the time speaking out about that. And it was very hard to get photos on the internet then. And so I didn't really know what every, anyone else looks like because I, I wasn't aware that the condition is very much like you look like family with the, you know, the other people with ichthyosis. So I didn't know there, there were people that looked like me. So what did you find from that, sir? I just found like people on a bulletin board, you know, talking about their condition, talking about what symptoms they have, what they've done to cope. And the other thing I found that 
people were leading really full and active lives. Like I, I always expected I would, but who knows? I mean, the expectations of people with ichthyosis are so low and, and representation of it is so bad that I didn't really know. So these people were married, they were working. So yeah, I found that. Um, I found lots of people on the Savage Garden boards and boards as well. Um, and that, like, that was true connection. So I met a lot of fans. I met a lot of pen pals through the Savage Garden bulletin board and, and fan club. And so, you know, I had these two searches going, you know, meeting different people. And then I was reading blogs for a long time. And then I started my own blog, I would say 99, maybe. Yeah. And so, and so I've been on it for a long time, but I haven't really been taking it seriously you know to think that writing and social media could be a career until maybe 2009 I was doing a master's of communication and I had to do a blog subject I did a blogging subject and then I did I started my own blog properly in addition to all the other ones I had and ever since then I've been writing for that and for the media and speaking yeah can you talk a little bit about I guess the rise and the boom of social media and it being more accessible and really like the rise of blogs could you talk about, I guess, being in it when it maybe wasn't such a popular place or it wasn't, you know, as saturated as it became? Yeah, I mean, we I, we had dial-up for so long in the country, you know, when other people had ADSL. Yeah, I mean, blogging was really, really popular in around like 2010 to maybe 2013. I used to blog every day. I used to work for the government and um, I was highly unenthused and so every night I'd come home and write and be creative and, you know, put my blog up for the next morning. And that just built such a following with other bloggers, with other readers. It led, led to awards and it led to writing in the media, which was quite exciting. Well, I just felt like all of the opportunities I've ever had has come about because I'm on the internet. One day I wrote a story for Mamma Mia. It was on body image. So I'd written a story for the government. I used to write for a disability website and they asked me to write a piece on body image. So I was going to interview Mia Friedman, who at the time was the chair of the Body Image Advisory Committee, and she put me in touch with someone else and I interviewed them. But then I sent her the article that I'd written to say thank you and she asked if we could republish it on Mamma Mia. And then ever since that day, like so many different opportunities have come. Like that's when my mainstream started and someone tweeted that Mamma Mia post and they were from a university in England. One of the people that works there is Australian. She's around my age. And so she tweeted it and I said, thank you. Your work looks really interesting. They were doing work around appearance, diversity, like body image stuff around size and weight and skin conditions. And then they met me when they came to Australia. They had a meeting in Australia in 2011 and they said to me, you know, can, can we have a meeting? And then they said, do you want to come and speak at our conference in 2012 in the UK? And I did. So all of these things have just come about because someone's found my tweet or someone's found mm. my blog and it's been amazing. Yeah. It's one of the coolest things about social media, I think, is how connected you can be to people that either, yeah, share a really deep passion for something, whether that's Savage Garden or whatever, whatever it is. And you can connect to people literally on the other side of the world. And I think that's such a, an amazing thing because you can do that from the comfort of your home where you're safe. 
and you can do and you know there are there are obviously pros and cons to social media and we can get to that but you can do that with a sense of security as well and sharing you know this piece of who Carly is she's a Savage Garden fan and I don't have to share everything about myself and go out for coffee and build a whole friendship on the entirety of me as a human being I can really like burrow into that niche part of myself <laughs> yeah I agree and last year during the height of Melbourne lockdown and I'm, I'm pretty sure LA is still in a bit of a diet situation I was watching Darren Hayes was doing a lot of Instagram lives Darren from Savage Garden and um, I was on one night and watching him and he was saying like <laughs> he was taking requests from people to be on his live so I reckon I must have I think it was this jumper I put on I was in my pajamas I'm like oh my god I'm gonna put on a proper jumper and then I I requested to be in his video or maybe he requested me and he's like oh this, I know this woman from way back and we were just talking like it was 1997 again. <laughs> it was so exciting and yeah I was such a fangirl and my boss I, I work at Melbourne Fringe and our CEO is a really big Savage Garden fan and he, he's often said to us you know call call at any time if you run into trouble or anything and I called him at half past 10 going oh my god I've just talked to Darren Hayes <laughs> on Instagram live yeah and the access <laughs> the access to people in their lives and you know these celebrities that are just so out of reach in general and and they're sharing bits and pieces of their lives that we wouldn't have otherwise. It is really odd, but then I've been on the other side of that as well and the access that people expect to have for me is quite big and it's very weird, very demanding. Shall we jump into a bit of a discussion about, I suppose, the positives and negatives of social media and engaging online? Carly, maybe we thought we might kick off with the negatives. They're probably important to discuss, but then we'll end on the highs for a super finish. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So the negatives, well, there's so many of them. I think it is that expectation that people will be there. And I find that really hard that I will respond to people. I get so many messages. I'm literally the only person that manages my social media and my email. So I'm often behind. I don't think that people see it as a job either. Like, I mean, I don't get paid regularly for social media, but certainly it's just a part of my job. And generally, I do it for free. So there's that expectation to constantly explain and do more work. And when you say, I don't have time to do this right now, people are like, oh, it's not really work. The I, I find the hardest thing is the devil's advocates. When you write about things that are serious, particularly around like disability discrimination or racism or something, you get people going, oh, but they didn't mean it. Or what about this? Or I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I find that really hard. I find the lateral violence in the particularly the disability space is horrendous I don't feel like we're allowed to have individual success in disability spaces I feel like there's an expectation we only should work as a group and we need collective success and you're allowed to have any individual success I don't believe that I think the more success one person has the more success everyone has and the more opportunities everyone has but I think because of the scarcity model in the disability space, people think that there's not enough opportunities. And that, a fact, like there aren't enough opportunities because there is so much discrimination. But I have found that extremely hard in the last few years, especially, you know, I've had a book deal, I've signed to a mainstream, you know, one of the top publishers in Australia, and I signed to a speaking agent and, oh, my God, it just all fell apart then. Like, wasn't allowed any of that in the disability community. So I find that really hard. I find it hard to constantly call people out or in on their lack of accessibility or ableism so discrimination towards disabled people on social media I don't feel like enough people are doing it like 
very well, particularly in Australia. I see a lot of people in England doing image descriptions and captioning their videos and things on social media. Um, I just don't think that's taken up. And I also get people tag me going, hey, Carly, I've done an image description, and then they never do it again. I find that really annoying. Um, (laughs) And I also find the lack of accountability for these platforms really hard. I've had some pretty awful trolling. And I have reported it to the police. I've gone to court even. I took a man to court for constant harassment and stalking. And I also have just had like death threats and, you know, really horrible stuff. And no one can do anything about it because the police haven't caught up. The eSafety Commissioner has no power, which I'm really disappointed with, even though, you know, I I think their intent is great, but it's disappointing that you know, you just get a standard email, you know, call Lifeline if your life is at risk. We can't do anything. We don't really have any power. So I find that really hard. And also the people moderating Facebook, Instagram, their community standards. I assume that these are either people whose values differ from mine or who's or who are privileged and don't understand the impact of ableism or racism or whatever. So I find that hard. And I think the anonymity of the internet can be hard. But I, I actually think when people put their names to things, that can be harder, harder still. Like it's the people that you know that are giving you a hard time is the worst you know I've had people go to great lengths to torment me online like you know fake accounts or pretending I had I actually had some confirmation the other day that someone pretended to be my friend for six years so I could help them further their career bit of a catfish story oh oh can I tell my catfish story I have a catfish story of the internet I forgot about this oh my god it's so it's so Please great, but it's so awful. Um, so when I was, um, it has to do with Darren Hayes as well. Don't worry. When <laughs> when I was um, seventeen, I was yeah seventeen. Uh, in August '99, I took the day off school <laughs> to listen to the new Savage Garden uh, song as it dropped on radio. So I was like meant to be doing my U12 exam prep, but I'm like I said to Mum, "Oh, I don't feel very well today. I'm gonna take." <laughs> of school and I and at two o'clock the song dropped and, I, and then I got on the Savage Garden bulletin boards oh my god you know that it's amazing the song was I knew I loved you so I was like on the, on the Savage Garden message boards and then I also had that program ICQ remember it used to go oh and it was like a flower anyway there was this like a chat thing so I met this I met this man or this boy on there he was he was also 17 or maybe 18 so I met this guy his name was Ben I don't think I've ever said that anywhere but his name's Ben and he and I got chatting so bear in mind this was like in my year 12 HSC year and so the night before my first exam my first English exam also I never really showed people my photo I was always really scared I'm like what are they going to do with it but I showed him my school photo and I sent it on and anyway so we formed this relationship online and then the night before my first English exam he said to me can I call and he called me every night from that day and we'd talk on the phone so he was a chef he was an apprentice chef and we would talk on the phone for hours and hours and I don't know how I managed. Anyway, so he'd finished really late, so he called me at eleven. So then he came to see me over the over the holidays just before I went to uni. So in January, and he stayed for like a week and a half or something, and he, it was great. It was amazing, and I'd never experienced that kind of romance before. But my mum was my mum and dad were freaked out. They're like, he's he he should stay in a hotel. He can't stay here. But then when he arrived, he was like tiny and you know only eighteen and. He had these like plaits 
in his hair and then the middle of his head was shaved and he kind of looked like Marilyn Manson crossed the Australian cricket team because he always used to wear like cricket jerseys. Before he met, he'd send me these photos of him and like apparently he played in a band. So he'd send me these photos of him and he'd send me these poems and they're all quite dark. Anyway, so he went back and I didn't hear from him, like never heard from him again for about three months. Like he didn't call me, he disconnected his number. He used to have a, a phone number in his room, so that, that was gone. He wouldn't give me his mobile phone. At the time, we didn't really have mobile phones. But um, anyway, so he left and like didn't hear from him for ages. And then I heard from him. And his ex-girlfriend had a baby, like his baby, and then so he said he had to get back with her, right? So I probably didn't hear from him for a good sort of four or five months. So the baby was born in May, I think. So we would talk on and off for six years right online and then by the time he had a mobile phone um, we'd call and he would call me when I moved to Melbourne he would often call me like late at night and we'd chat and and I'd say do you have a girlfriend he's like no why do you think I'd be calling you so I said to my mum oh Ben sometimes still calls me and I said I think we'll always be you know in each other's lives in some way and then one night about 10 o'clock he called me and then he had to go really quickly and then this woman calls me, right, and she's like, what are you doing talking to Ben? He's always talking to you and your number's on his phone bill. And I'm like, oh, sorry, we sort of used to see each other or something years ago. And she's like, oh, my God, I talked to her about the baby. There was no baby. I talked to her about, I talked to her about the mother. The mother was still alive and they still live with the mother. So I helped her, I guess, get out of that relationship because, um, yeah, he was calling me on the side and we're friends now, me and her. We've hung out a few times and she came She came to my book launch and I did mention her in the book and she's doing really well. And then we've been friends and I looked, I, I found him on Facebook and, like, he doesn't look anything different to what he did all those years ago, like, but he looks, like, ancient. He just looks so weathered and, like, he he hasn't aged like I've aged. So that's my catfish. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the, oh, pic- wow. so the pictures that he used to send me, the pictures that he used to send me, they were all like Marilyn Manson, their band or Cold Chamber or something. And the and the poems he used to send me were lyrics because I was reading a Rolling Stone magazine one day. I'm like, oh, that's Ben's poem in there. They <laughs> didn't credit him. Such a con. But, but apparently, so, so the woman that had the baby, uh, supposedly had the baby, she did exist. We got in t- touch with her. There was no baby. She just, he just made it up. But he kept that baby, I think, for like five years. Like the baby was going to school. The baby was, he, oh, he maintained his life <laughs> for five years. Anyway, there's some good things that happen. Do you want to know them? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like you spun a really kind of could have been super bad story into something quite funny because it was, I feel like that was just really odd. It was really odd. And just that, like I had him at my house for so long and that he, he could have been, well, he was anyone. He used to say like you've got to watch the quiet ones and he's really odd anyway. So that, look, there are a lot of good things. I mean, there's the work that's come about, there's meeting people. I think for me that one of the best things is having people with ichthyosis tell me that I've helped them tell their story or become more confident. That's been amazing. Also, I think that working with brands, I used to think that the measure of success with blogging was working with brands. So I would get a lot of hits on my blog, the same as what these other big bloggers would get. But no one would want to work with the disabled or chronically ill or 
blogger with a facial difference. And so I'd, I'd be really disheartened because all of the people that I knew were getting these big sponsorship deals and I wasn't. But then I started writing for the media and I'm like, well, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't really want my my blog to just become a Woolworths ad, you know. And so now I do a few sponsored posts or gifted things. Sometimes I get sent clothes, sometimes, you know, stuff that fits with my brand. So that's good. I also think the ability to change people's minds is quite good. Uh, You might have seen last week I called out a really shitty influencer who the only engagement she has with the black community is to use songs with the n-word in them which is just gross and I had said hey you might have put a black tile there for black lives matter but now all you're doing is using songs in your branding with the n-word and I tagged all the brands that she's worked with on my post and then I had a brand message me and said oh thank you so much for letting us know we had no idea Um, we're a small company but we're going to have more stringent processes now with our um, approval because when you do a sponsored post you generally have to get the brand to approve that content and I'm like well why haven't they been approving it anyway it was for like a yogurt or smoothie thing and just no relation you know to the brand at all and so then they the influencer took the video down so I mean that was a success but then I had to battle all the devil's advocates or people going why can't a white person use an n-word why are you even talking about this Carly you're not even a person of color and uh, that that's another thing that's been quite tricky actually is I am a person of color my mum is a black South African woman but I don't look it because of my skin and so that's been tricky being able to speak out more but yeah um and I met a bunch of First Nations friends that night and I was telling them about this yeah I think it was interesting because I know they get it all the time I haven't really had to endure this stuff much I, I have a lot of white passing privilege but yeah it was it was good to have a discussion with them and not put the burden of the onus of responsibility on them yeah exactly like the comment of why are you talking about this or why are you calling it out that's because it's not always up to the people who are being marginalized to have these conversations and call it out so yeah a positive that you're talking about is visibility Carly and that you have been able to inspire people and pave a path for others and how do you sit I guess with like a responsibility that your brand and your messaging and what you do put out on social media has weight yeah it's it's huge I mean I feel like you can't say any there's no room to grow and there's no room to make a mistake I I don't feel like especially for young people so there there is a responsibility like if, if I get some ableism or trolling one of the things I used to do is go back to them with a correction of the your that they're using like they probably use the wrong your but then that in itself is ableist you know so I can't get back at them by proving that I'm a better writer than them or that, that I know my grammar because that in itself is ableist. So, you know, you have to bite back with uh, not punching down in that way. So there's that responsibility. There's the responsibility, I guess, to be everything to everyone sometimes and I find that really hard. I find the other day when I wrote about how you're just pretending to be my friend to get to further your media career, which, which has happened a number of times. Uh, I had someone message me going, hey, Carly, was that about me? And I went back through all of their messages. I sort of almost felt like I had to placate them and say, oh, no, it wasn't about you. But I went back through all their messages and it actually could apply to them. I have a lot of people try to message me 
or try message me to try and ask me to do stuff like it might be their only engagement with me to promote their thing or tell them how they can get a book deal or tell them how they can get an agent or whatever and I, I find that really hard I find it hard when people are like they know me more than I know them that that's something I find tricky as well and that there's an expectation that I'll always be on but also being a real fan like such a fangirl not just of Darren Hayes but of other people it's really helped me meet my fans and I do really like that like being able to talk to them and we went to Sydney Writers Festival last week and met so many people that would just come up and say oh my god I follow your work so much and that was really nice. It's pretty amazing to go from fangirl to fangirl, isn't it? I know I ran into Carly at an event not that long ago and I also ran into some other friends and they were like, oh, you know Carly Finlay. <laughs> no, and my friends were like, oh, my God, you know Hesler and Ben. And you remember, Hester, when I first met you and I, I had seen Ben, I had no idea who he was, I hate football. Uh, you know that, but you know, and I like I had no idea who he was, but but for the segment on the news the previous night, and I'm like, oh, you were on the news last night talking about a charity that the football club was affiliated with, and he said that he knew my work, and I'm like, oh my god, how how does that even? <laughs> even when I went to the Sydney Writers Festival, like my Instagram was nothing but me and famous people. But I met Tim Minchin, who I had met twice before, but very briefly. I'd met him in a recording of a TV show, and I gave him my chocolate bar because he was hungry. <laughs> And then I met him on the plane from London to LA. And so he remembered me and he walked in and he's like, oh, Carly, I know you very well. And I'm like, well, we've met twice. But then I met um, I met Yael Stone from Orange is the New Black and she goes, oh, I follow you on Instagram. You're amazing. And then we had a photo. Anyway, so my whole time was just me me with famous people. But also one thing that was very nice to do was introduce my friends to some of their idols and that was a really lovely thing. Yeah, but also when I did my book launch for Say Hello, I went, I had a number of people that I have been a fan of for many years, but the, the main person was Bob Evans, who's Kevin Mitchell from Jebediah. And there was a moment in there where he said, can you talk about fandom? And I got really embarrassed because, you know, he's probably ranked higher than Darren Hayes in my fandom scale. And then I got really embarrassed about it. But then he, he played at my wedding and he's, He's launched my book, so I think he's, yeah, overtaken Darren now. Yeah, you keep talking about meeting these famous people, but they know who you are. (laughs) Carly, you're kind of famous. Like, I'm pretty sure that you're talking about you. It was pretty funny. Carly, we think it's so awesome. Yeah, I suppose your internet full circle that you've gone through and we're big fans of you. So we are so stoked that you came to talk to us today about the internet and your interactions on it and we love following you so we will make sure that your handles are in the show notes and thank you so much that was so fun I'm so glad I got to tell the catfish story I really love telling that (laughs) (laughs) anyway I'm gonna go and watch some catfish now on Stan I think thank you so much Carly (laughs) thanks Carly that was so fun Carly Finlay people. So great talking to Carly. Carly's a good friend of mine so I've been just dying to have her on. I'm a little bit like 
starstruck after that. I think she's incredible and I follow her closely on her social media and as you said just before her interview, Hester, that she's quite conscious with it but I, and I know a lot of people would say this, her style is so unique and it just, I love how she actually uses that to like represent herself and uses fashion in that way. I love it. I love her her whole look, everything about Carly. She's vibrant (laughs) inside and out. I feel like listeners can't see this because it's a podcast (laughs) but Marty's smiling really like she's got she's got such a happy beautiful smile at the moment and I think that's such a indication of that I love that you know that fun happy dress sense that can make other people feel good too that's I mean that's a win-win right she looks cute while she's doing it so (laughs) just lastly I would love to hear your highs and maybe one low of social media in terms of lows I can't look past when comments and messages get really nasty and I think they do and and to me it's when they turn racist or sexist or homophobic or anything like that that's really suppressing you know certain groups of people I think that's really awful and really hard to deal with and and I think too when people I suppose it's that definition of trolling isn't it where they're not actually looking to have a discussion or reasonably look at things or they don't care about hurting people's feelings Mm. or that's what I find really hard I find really you know I'm happy to engage with people who want to talk about it and I do get messages quite often from people who really want to learn or have a discussion and I love that but I find it very difficult when people are just trying to waste your time in ways that are really upsetting. I just don't see what people get out of that either if you're not wanting to engage in a conversation and maybe that's just your point of view on something but you're not even giving a point of view you're actually just being a bully essentially for the sake of it and no one gets anything out of that that's not the point of social media that's not the point of amplifying a voice. Yeah I totally agree but I think the positives are really great too and for me I think the biggest positive of the internet is cultivating friendships and I have some friendships that I feel like have been really strengthened by the internet friends like Carly or I feel like the internet gives me a really great opportunity to chat to people that I wouldn't necessarily get to see all the time but also I feel like I've actually like flush made friends from the internet and I have this one friend in Sydney shout out to Kate they're amazing I actually met Kate when we both entered the same online Instagram competition and now we've been friends for it must be six or seven years yeah Kate's really been there for me in some difficult times they were really there for me with that online friendship when we were in the hubs last year and with the difficulties in our pregnancy and then Kate even called in when I was in labor giving birth to Esme so I think it's really amazing the friendships that you can make online I'm the same, Hester. Some of the friendships that have come out of social media have been, yeah, either amplified and you've been able to really stay connected with people or meet but not necessarily actually meet new people. I have an incredible Facebook group that is basically a mother's group on Facebook and shout out to them because they genuinely got me through some of the hardest times of the early days of my parenting experience with George and nights, (laughs) especially having that Facebook group so active and I know a lot of the women in it have met with each other. I haven't met anyone in it yet and George is almost four, but they are just some of the most supportive humans that I have ever been able to come across and that wouldn't have happened without Facebook and with random groups like that. So that is my positive and I rave about them all the time. And if anyone is listening, thank you all from my my little Jew in July group from 2017. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so cute, Marty. I love that story. Hester, that's us for another season. Unless you have anything else to say, it's time for your maternity leave. All we have to do is say thank you so much to everybody who's listened to even an episode or two. It means so much to us to have you listening. We want to say thank you to the amazing sponsors we've had this year. Marty, we've had Mimco, we've had Spray Oz, we've had Matzos, and we've had botanicals by Lux. So that just means the world to us and makes this possible. We have a very small but very special group of people who help us out making this podcast. And without those sponsors, we wouldn't be able to pay those beautiful people. So that's very important. So huge thank you to Ruben McKinnon, our artist. Huge thank you to our editors for season two, Lucas and Gabe, and to our handyman around the place, Andy McDowell. Big thank you to them because we certainly would not be able to to do what we're doing and get it out every week without them. So thank you all and Hester, enjoy the break and we'll be back for another season in a couple months. Looking forward to it. Thank you to you, Marty, best co-host in the world. Oh, Hester, that would be you. You are the best (laughs) co-host. Thank goodness for you. If people only knew how much you keep this afloat. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. You are listening to the Significant Others podcast. If you have enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please leave us a review or recommend us to a friend. You can find us on Instagram at the Significant Others podcast.